freedom is an amazing blessing. Take, for instance, the freedom that we enjoy in this country. I mean, right now, you could get up and go to Walmart if you wanted to, right? No secret police trying to stop, you know, military getting in your way at different checkpoints. You could get up and go to Walmart right now. Now, the ushers may try to stop you. I hope they do, but, but, but no one else would. We have freedom in this country. It's a remarkable blessing. But isn't it true that sometimes you and I can take our freedom for granted? So what are the best ways to remind ourselves of how great freedom is? Maybe it would be to think about what it would be like not to be free. Can you imagine living in a nation where you're not free to go where you want to go and worship who you want to worship and do what you want to do and work where you want to work? Can you imagine living without freedom? Can you imagine living under tyranny and oppression? It would be awful, right? So when you think about that, it helps you to remember how great our freedom really is. And it's the same in the spiritual realm. We have spiritual freedom in Christ. But did you know, sometimes you and I can begin to take that freedom for granted? So how can we remind ourselves of how great our freedom is, our spiritual freedom in Christ? Well, maybe it would be to remember what it's like not to be free and to contrast our freedom with our previous bondage. And we contrast those two realities, we begin to see just how amazing a blessing freedom in Christ really is. And that's what Paul's doing in this text this morning. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We are continuing our study through this wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians scattered throughout the first century Roman province of Galatia. We made it all the way to Galatians chapter 5. When you find your place, would you please stand with me if you're physically able in honor of the reading of God's word. It's good to be back with you. We missed you. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity this church gives us to get away as a family and have vacation. We had some great time with our family uh, down in Florida. Uh, Claire and I were able to get away and celebrate our 20th anniversary uh, this summer. So yeah, we're excited about that, but it's good to see you. Glad to be back. Galatians chapter 5, the Bible says, For freedom, Christ, watch this, has set us, what's the word there? free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith 
working through love. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name. We're grateful, Lord, for another opportunity to gather as a faith family, to sing praises to your great and awesome and mighty name. Lord, to, to worship you in the splendor of your holiness. And now, Lord, to, to come to this portion of worship where we open our Bibles and open our hearts, expecting you to speak to us. So, Lord, would you move in our midst as the word goes forth, apply your word to our hearts by your spirit. Stir us up, Lord, with deeper love and affection for you. Give us a greater understanding, a greater grasp of what it means to be free in Christ. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As I've said many times as we've journeyed through Galatians, Paul, in the first century, had gone as a missionary into the Roman province of Galatia. He preached the gospel. Folks got saved. He gathered them together, and churches were started. Paul gave them some basic instruction to discipleship in the faith, and he left to go back to his home base of Antioch, Syria. And after he left, some false teachers came into those churches. And they were distorting the gospel that Paul had preached to them. And basically the issue was circumcision. That's the issue in our passage this morning, which is part of the Jewish law. And these Judaizers came into the churches in Galatia and said, we've heard you've accepted Christ. That's wonderful. That's great. Congratulations. But if you really want to be right with God, if you really want to know that God will pour out his favor upon you. If you really want to have a relationship with him, you also need to be circumcised and to keep other parts of the Jewish law. So they were adding on to the gospel. They were, in effect, saying to these believers in Galatia, Jesus by himself is not enough. Christ alone is not enough. You need to do some things, too, if you really want to be saved. And Paul's writing this letter to say that is a distortion of the gospel. The gospel is that we are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. And he's reminding them of the the beauty and the realities of the gospel. And, And through much of this letter, he wants them to understand what it means to be saved. And in our passage this morning, he's lifting up freedom in Christ. And perhaps... Some of the believers in Galatia were taking their freedom for granted. So Paul's going to contrast spiritual freedom with spiritual bondage to remind them of how great their freedom really is. And so in this passage, there's a contrast between two realities. I'm going to show you those two realities and we'll be done this morning. Number one, there's a contrast in this passage between the hopelessness of works based salvation. The hopelessness of works-based salvation. The idea that you can do some things to save yourself. Paul wants the, the folks in Galatia to understand that is a hopeless way to live. Now, why is it hopeless to try to save yourself? Why is it hopeless to try to do some things for, to, to earn your salvation? Let me give you three reasons it's hopeless. Number one, you ready? Your works don't work. Your good works don't 
work. They don't get the job done. That's the point he's making there uh, in verse 2. He says in verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set you free. That's why he, he came and died and rose from the grave to save you, to deliver you so you could live in freedom. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back into bondage if you've experienced freedom. Then he says in verse 2, look, I, Paul, say, say that to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man, I watch this, to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So here's what Paul's saying. You want to play that game? Do you really want to buy into the idea that your works or your adherence to the law or your moral effort can save you? If, if you want to play the works-based game, I've got news for you. The standard is perfection. It's not just circumcision, folks. It's all the law. And if you want to be made right with God by keeping all of the law, you've got to be perfect. He says you're obligated to keep the whole law. Now, who would take that challenge? You want to save yourself? Okay, be perfect. And by the way, the clock doesn't stop right, start right now. It goes all the way back to when you were born. Would anyone in here say, oh, I've been perfect. I've been perfect. And from this point on, I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to do everything God requires. I'm going to do everything God tells me to do. And everything God tells me not to do, I'm not going to do. I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to keep the law perfectly. Listen, your works don't work because you've got to keep all of the law and you can't do it and I can't do it. So works-based salvation doesn't work. It's not, listen, it's not possible. You're a sinner. You were born with a sin nature. You are born in rebellion against God and you cannot live in perfection you are a sinner that needs a Savior. So here you go. Your works don't work. It's not possible to save yourself by doing things. It's not possible to save yourself through your performance or your moral effort because the standard is what? Perfection. Your works don't work. Number two, your works undermine Christ's work. Your works undermine Christ's work. Look what he says in verse two. Look. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. What Christ has done will not uh, have any bearing on your life. And look what he says in verse 4. You are severed from Christ. Again, what he's done will have no effect on your life. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. And so these two phrases... Christ will be of no advantage to you. You are severed from Christ. Speak of the reality that if you are trying to save yourself, then really the work of Christ is meaningless to you because his death will have no bearing on your eternity. You're saying, I don't, I don't need Jesus. I'm going to do my own thing. And if you're trying to do your own thing and earn your salvation your works undermine what Christ has done. Todd Wilson says it like this, if we try to do it all ourselves, we will be left to fend for ourselves. We won't have Christ's blood, we won't have Christ's life, and we won't have Christ's grace. All we'll have is our sinful, silly, 
little dissatisfied self, which isn't all that much comfort. So, so listen to me. Do you want to trust Christ who's paid it all and finished the work so that you can be saved? Or do you want to trust your sinful, silly, little dissatisfied self to save you? See, your work undermines Christ's work. When you begin to try to earn your salvation by your effort, you're saying, hey, thanks, Jesus, for the cross. We're, you know, that's, that's cool. And, we, we, you know, you rose from the dead. That's, that's great, but I don't need any of that. Can you imagine saying, I don't need what you've done for me, Jesus? I, I've got this, Jesus. I, I, I'm going I'm to get the job done. Your works undermine Christ's work. But there's a third thing here. Your works, why is it hopeless to try to save yourself? Your works work against grace. Your works work against grace. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. The word severed there means separated from or cut off from I believe it's a play on words tying back into the idea of circumcision. But this word means that you are rendering something invalid. So if you're going to walk away from Jesus and try to earn your salvation, you're rendering Christ and his work and his grace invalid for your life. Then he says in verse 4, if that's the case, if you're, if you're seeking to be justified by the law, you, are, you have fallen away from grace. What does that word, fallen away from grace, or that phrase, fallen away from grace, means? It means that, that if you're trying to save yourself, you are no longer operating in the realm of grace. Now listen to me. There are only two options, only two ways to try to relate to God. You're either accepting the, the gift of salvation through God's grace, through His Son, Jesus Christ, or you're trying to save yourself. And those two ideas are mutually exclusive. They they both can't be true at the same time. And so, if you're trying to save yourself, you're no longer operating in the realm of grace. You're saying thanks but no thanks to the work of Christ. If you choose to relate uh, to God in the way of works, then you will not be a recipient of grace. Now, He's not saying that if you choose to be circumcised uh, to be right with God, you will lose your salvation. That's not what he's saying. Many people look at this passage of Scripture and say, well, that means you can lose your salvation. You're severed from Christ, fallen from grace. That means that these folks were saved, but if they choose circumcision, they're no longer saved. That's not what he's saying at all. Here's what he's saying to the church in Galatia. He's saying if you walk away from the truth of the gospel into works-based salvation, listen, you are proving you never were truly saved. Let me say it again. He's saying if you walk away from the truth of the gospel, I'm I'm, I'm articulating it clearly, I'm, I'm sharing it with you, I'm reminding you of it, I'm defending the gospel. If you walk away from that and you choose to try to save yourself, you're proving by that decision that you never were truly saved. Where are you getting that from? Well, listen to what it says in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, John writes about some folks in the church who had bought into false doctrine. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not have, continued, uh, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. 
In other words, the fact that they've bought into false doctrine is proof they weren't really with us. Proof they weren't truly saved. Listen to 2 John 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. That's pretty clear, right? Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So taking those verses and other scriptures and and what Paul says here, here's here's what Paul means. If you're going to seek to earn your salvation through circumcision and keeping of the law, you're no longer operating in the realm of grace. And if you, if you continue in that direction and turn your back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not that you were saved and now have lost your salvation. It's that you never were saved in the first place and you're walking away from the gospel is proof of it. That makes sense? That, that's what he is saying here. And so he's saying, understand, if you walk away from grace, you're proving you never were in Christ. Serious words. You can't be in the realm of grace and the realm of works at the same time. You know, my heart breaks. My heart breaks when I think about the people in this world that wake up every day. And some of them are trying to appease the spirit world. Some of them are trying to keep the five pillars of Islam. Some are trying to earn enough good karma to get off the wheel of reincarnation and experience nirvana. That breaks my heart because those millions and millions, even billions of people are living in the realm of works. They believe that if they just do the right things, then they will be made right with whatever their concept of God is. But of course, they never really know if they've done enough, do they? So day in, day out, they wake up and they work. And they try to do the things their religion prescribes. And it's hopeless because you never know if you've done enough. But my heart doesn't just break for for people caught up in animism and Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism. My heart breaks for the person living in the Bible Belt that is not born again. They've never received the grace of Christ. But they think because of their denominational affiliation or their family ties or legacy or basically the fact that they're an okay person, they think, well, surely God will accept me. Listen to me. That's that's not the realm of grace. That's the realm of works. And if you are in the realm of works trying to save yourself, you're saying thanks but no thanks to the cross. You're saying thanks but no thanks to Jesus Your salvation is up to you. And can I remind you, the standard is perfection. How's that going so far? And so we see here the hopelessness of works-based salvation. You can never rest. You can never have true joy and peace because you never know if you've done enough. You're always putting forth effort to try to save yourself. But there's a contrast here. I told you that. 
There's a contrast between the hopelessness of works-based salvation and the freedom, everyone say freedom, the freedom of grace-based salvation. The freedom of grace-based salvation. Now look what it says there in verse one. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, there, stand firm therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now what's the idea of freedom mean in Galatians? As you look at the, the total context of the book. Freedom in Galatians means that we are free in Christ from the futility of trying to save ourselves. Free means you're free. If you know Jesus, you're free from the futility. You can't do it. The futility of trying to save yourself. You're free from that. You're not trying to earn your salvation. You've received salvation as a gift. And there's a huge difference, right? You know the difference is? Freedom rather than hopelessness. And, and this text this morning helps us to understand some implications of our spiritual freedoms. Let me give you some implications. Number one, because we are free, we can enjoy a relationship with God. Because we are free, we can enjoy a relationship with God. Look what it says there in verse one. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore, firm therefore do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You're free. And you're free to enjoy God. Look what it says in chapter 4, verse 7. We've already looked at this verse. But he reminds us of our status in Christ. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So if you're a Christian, if you've been born again, if you've received the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, then you're a son or daughter of God. You're a child of God. And because you're free from trying to save yourself, you can now, listen, enjoy that relationship. These world religions that I mentioned earlier, they really have no concept of, of relationship. It's all about the things they do. But Christianity offers a personal, intimate relationship with the living God. Wow! Wow, a personal relationship with God. So because we are free, we can enjoy a relationship with God. Every day, if you're born again, you can wake up in the morning, and guess what? You can talk to God. You can experience God speaking to you through his word as the Holy Spirit of God illuminates the word and and God speaks into your life. You can experience and you will experience the unfailing presence of God. There's nothing you will go through in this life when God will not be with you. So we're free to enjoy this relationship, to pursue God, to seek his face, to draw closer to him. The Bible says in James that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And so we're free to enjoy a relationship with God. If you're trying to earn your salvation, you're not enjoying God. You're just trying hard because you're not free. Also, because we are free, we can rest. Everyone say rest. I love the concept of rest. Look what it says in verse 4 of 
Galatians 5. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So if you're trying to save yourself, you're not in the realm of grace. But the opposite is true. If you're depending upon Jesus to save you, you are in the realm of grace. You've been saved by receiving a gift of salvation, being justified through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So guess what? You can rest because Jesus has done it all, right? You're not trying to save yourself. Christ has done everything for you. If you're born again, you're not at church today to to gain points with God so he'll like you more. You've heard the gospel, that you are loved in Christ. And because of that, you can rest and enjoy him. You don't have to work to try to earn your salvation. You are a recipient of grace. You never thought, because we are free, and this is really good, we can look forward to the return of Christ. Now, hey, question. If you're trying to save yourself and you're not sure you've done enough, would you look forward to your God coming back? No. Give me some more time to earn some more credit, right? Not so with a Christian. If we've been born again, if we've been saved by grace through faith, then we can look forward to the return of Christ because there's nothing left to be done. Christ has done it all. Now look what it says in verse 5. I love this verse. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. If we've been born again, we've been saved by grace, we're looking forward to the Lord coming back. Now when it says there, we're, we're looking forward or eagerly awaiting for the hope of righteousness, someone might say, well, aren't we righteous in Christ now? You've told us, Pastor Wade, over and over again that at the moment of conversion, your sins are washed away, but you're also robed in the imputed righteousness of Christ. You're given the perfection of Christ as a gift, right? And that's true. When you were saved, that's what happened. But he's not speaking of that imputed righteousness here. He's speaking of the final verdict. When the Lord returns, we stand before him, and we know what we're going to hear. Forgiven saved, born again. My final verdict is they are rightly related to God. They are righteous in Christ so they can come into heaven. That's the final verdict. We don't have to fear the day when we'll stand before the Lord because on that day, if we are saved, not because we're good, but because we've accepted the gift of grace, we will hear the final verdict, righteous, Come into the joy of your master. We can look forward to that day. We can even, the Bible says, pray for that day. At the end of Revelation, uh, John prays, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Why? There's nothing left to be done for salvation. Jesus has done it all, amen? Now, does this waiting mean that we kind of like, you know, bumps on a log and we kind of sit around twiddling our thumbs and just looking at our watch and say, okay, Jesus, any minute now, things are getting really bad down here. Come on back, Jesus. Do we just kind of sit and and kind of waste away while we wait for Jesus to return? Absolutely not. That was the problem with the churches in Thessalonica. They had some false teachers come in and say, hey, uh, 
Jesus Christ already come back. And they say, well, if he's already come back, then we're just going to just, you know, we're just going to live it up and do nothing. Are, are we called to do nothing while we wait for the final verdict? The answer is no. Notice what he says there. How do we wait? By the Spirit through faith. And the rest of chapter 5 will help us understand what that means. How we wait by the Spirit. What the Spirit of God who lives in us does in our lives. We're going to learn how to walk by the Spirit. We're going to learn about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. We're going to learn how the Spirit bears that fruit through our lives. So we're not just sitting back waiting, doing nothing. We are actively engaged in serving God in the power of the Spirit, making a difference till He comes back. But the point is... We want him to come back, amen? That's the point. We're looking forward to it. Why? We're not trying to save ourselves. Jesus Christ has done it all and we've accepted his gift. There's a final thing here. If you are in the realm of grace, because you are free, you can enjoy a relationship with God, you can rest, you can look forward to the return of Christ, but last... You can or we can serve him with right motives. We can serve him with right motives. Now look in verse 6. Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. In other words, he's saying it's not the act of circumcision that is bad. That's part of God's law. God gave us the law to point us to Jesus and his finished work, to show us our need for a Savior. So the law, Romans 7 says, is good is, is just, is perfect. So circumcision in and of itself is not the, the problem here. The problem here is the false teaching that you have to be circumcised to be saved. It's a misuse or a twisting of the law. It's, it's listen, it's doing things for God with the wrong motive. It's in the circumcision that you think, well, if I do this, God will show me favor or God will accept me. He says there that this circumcision or uncircumcision, it really counts for nothing. Literally, that word in the Greek language is is strength or power. He's saying the idea of being circumcised or uncircumcised, it has no strength or power. That's not the deal. The deal is, what do you believe about being circumcised? Do you believe it saves you or do you believe it points you to Jesus? That's the key, which brings us back to the Bible Belt. Let me ask you a question. Why do you do what you do? Why do you serve? Why do you come to church? Why are you here this morning? Why do you write tithe checks? Why do you go on mission trips? Why do you help people that need help? Why? Could it be that you think in the doing of those things, you think God will accept you? Did you know that there are people in Baptist churches who are very busy serving the Lord that are not born again? Did you know that? Come in real close. Did you know you can be a Baptist and not be a Christian? Do you know everybody if you knew that? Yeah. Maybe you're serving because you think, well, God will hopefully let me into heaven when I die. That's the wrong motivation for service. We don't serve to gain God's favor. We serve as born-again Christians because we have God's favor. He says there, 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith, watch this, working through love. When you're saved by the finished work of Christ, that doesn't mean God wants you just to sit and do nothing. It means he wants to work through you to love others and to make a difference in this world. Let me say it like this to make it clear. We are not saved because of our works. We work because we are saved. We don't serve so that God will love us. We serve because God loves us. See the difference there? Huge difference. Now, if we're born again, you and I have the freedom to joyfully serve him to show our love for him. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We're free now and we can serve him in the power of the spirit. We can learn more about the word and how it applies to our life. And we, begin, we can begin to serve him and be changed by him to show our gratitude for him and make much of him in the life he's given us. But notice our service is for the right motivation. Not to earn salvation, but because we've already been saved. And so are you in the realm of grace or the realm of works? On Father's Day, Claire, she's a very thoughtful gift giver. She always tries to kind of listen to things I want or I'm looking to get. And, and she gave me a book I've been wanting for a while, the book about the Wright brothers from David McCullough. And she gave me that book as a Father's Day gift. Now, when I opened it, I didn't say, boy, I want this book. So I'm going to lay it here, and I'm going to go start saving some money so I can buy this book. That would be an insult to Claire, right? I mean, Claire would just look at me and say, uh, I've already paid for it. It's paid for. Hey, it's yours. Just enjoy it. Thanks, but I think I need to earn this. If I want to, I need to earn it. I, I want to do some things to make sure that, you know, I've done what I need to do to, to get this book. Well, that'd be silly. We understand a gift is a gift is a gift. Listen to me. Salvation is a gift, is a gift, is a gift. If Jesus Christ has paid it all, you're not called to do anything except receive the gift. By faith in Christ. Now, if you've done that, you're free to rest and to enjoy God and serve Him for the right motivations and look forward to that day when He will split the eastern sky and come back for His own. We're not cowering at the return of Christ. We know that if Christ comes back or when Christ comes back, that we are born again and we're ready because the final verdict will be righteous. Amen? So here's the point. Living in slavery is foolish when Jesus paid it all to set you free. You may be here this morning and, and, and you are living in slavery. You're trying to save yourself. And it, listen to me. I say this with, with all the love I can muster. It's foolish because Christ has done everything necessary to save you. I read a story about the regime of East Germany in 1989, right before the 
Berlin Wall came down, that dividing wall between communist East Germany and free West Germany. And the East German prime minister, who was a tyrant, was named Erich Honecker. And as more and more momentum came against him from dissidents, from opposition, he was feeling the pressure. So here was this prime minister's way to deal with the pressure of opposition. He gathered the dissidents together, many of them, and he gave them papers, already filled out. And the paper simply gave them opportunity to leave East Germany and go to freedom in West Germany. He just wanted to get them out of the country. He didn't want that opposition. It was getting tough for him to, to, to lead as the the tyranny was crumbling. So he gathered these folks together and said, here's your choice. You can go and be free or you can stay here and live under this dictatorship. That's not much of a choice, is it? In fact, some of these dissidents were, were interviewed about these presented, uh, these completed application forms to immigrate to the West One man who was arrested and confronted with his choice said, listen to this, it was like being forced to choose between heaven and hell. No choices, I'm going to choose heaven, I'm going to choose freedom. Can I tell you this morning that this idea of grace, the realm of grace, the realm of works, this is not just religious preacher talk, listen to me, When you boil it down, it's a choice between heaven and hell. If you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you accept His grace, you will go to heaven when you die. If you live in bondage trying to save yourself, you'll never get there. You're not perfect. If you die in that condition, you will die and go to hell and be there forever. And so my question is, will you choose freedom or bondage? 